It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. On this 20th day of May, 2015, we're here with our co-host, Gay Basser. And... Uh, we're waiting on uh, Alicia and Kelly from uh, Bergman and Moore. Uh, they're running a little bit behind here, but uh, I'm sure they'll be on in a minute. At any rate, uh, we'll get the show going. How you doing today, John? I'm doing pretty good, Gerald. How's it going with you today? Well, going all right. Raining here in Missouri. Nice, uh, easy rain. Uh, so we kind of like that. Uh, uh, don't like that hard raining stuff and storming. So it's a, uh, looks like it's going to be a nice day. But anyway, like uh, yeah, Texas. Oh, my lands. Uh, Texas got it bad, didn't they? Uh, yes, yeah, sir. Hey. Oh. I think don't we have a guest in there. Oh, here we are. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, there you are. Hi, how are you? Hi. Good morning. Morning. Uh, well, we're glad to hear from you all. Uh, <laughs> I just tried to call your office and and uh, uh, somebody said that you was busy. So anyway. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, how are you girls doing today? We're good, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm doing better now. I get to hear some sweet talking females on here. <laughs> But at any rate, uh, uh, folks, this is uh, Alicia, and I think Kelly's there with you. Is that right? I am, uh-huh. Oh, how are you doing, Kelly? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Oh, fine. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just reading. Uh, this is I'm getting started with, I guess. I was reading here where the burn. Uh, pit, uh, I call them victims, but they're veterans. Uh, uh, kind of got a slap in the face here. Uh, are you in, uh, familiar with that? Are you talking about the case from last week? Yes, yes. Um, I, I think that if you look at the case, they're actually looking at a um, a chemical and it's hexagon something, and I can't, I'm afraid I can't remember the exact name of the chemical. But when our troops uh, hit this, this oil refinery in Iraq, um, they were exposed to this, this chemical. They were actually using it as, they were filling it sandbags with it and using it to shoot from. So, I mean, they were, they were super exposed to it. And it looks, from the congressional testimony, which I, I actually happened to sit in on, um, KBR's 
people came out all wearing uh, chemical suits and, and protective gear while our guys were defending this, this area in, in just their uniforms. And apparently people knew that they were going to be exposed to something and didn't tell them. So basically what the case last week in Portland said was that the although they'd been awarded, um, they, they'd won a case against KBR, the appeals co court said that it was in the wrong, it was in the wrong jurisdiction. So it's, it's not a huge step, it's just a, we need to take this back and, and see where it should be properly adjudicated. I'll be, but that's going to drag on, you know, take more time, and uh, time is precious uh, when you're an injured veteran. Yeah, and those, those cases were particularly horrible. One of the veterans talked about losing part of his nose due to this chemical, just their skin was, was affected. And uh, But if you're a big corporation, that's how you handle these cases. You you drag them out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. They're allowed to do that, but it, it happens. And the uh, only thing we can do is, is hope justice does prevail in this case. Um, there's, there's been an awful lot of sick veterans, and, and too, a lot of them returned home and uh, uh, contaminated their families in some cases, I guess. And it, it's not a pretty pretty picture. Right, that's what we're hearing on our end, too, that there's a lot of, a lot of sick children with um, symptoms similar to their parents. But I believe in a lot of these exposure cases, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times it does come back and affect the family uh, uh, in one way or another. Sometimes it, it gets into the DNAs of the children and stuff and can continue on through generations. I don't know how much research has been done on that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, even with Agent Orange, have had some of that. So. Right, right. Well, well, the other issue there is it's so stressful for the families. In a lot of cases, these guys are dealing with some other issues, and just to add that amount of stress to a family is, is a huge issue. Well, I... Yeah, I imagine it destroyed a lot of families, just tore them apart, uh, especially when you come up against the, the situation where, you know, uh, the claims being denied, the veterans say, look, I was there, here, here's my proof, uh, here's what's wrong with me, and uh, they still say, oh, no, no, I can't be that. Uh uh, exposure issues, in my opinion, is one of the hardest ones to get through the VA. Uh, they're pretty difficult. What's been your experience, Alicia, with the exposure? Uh, I would definitely say that you're right and that it is difficult to get those through because most times the medical research isn't there yet. It hasn't quite caught up with the rest of the conditions that veterans have. So a lot of times, you know, we are hiring independent doctors to look into it for us to help our clients win their case. Have you had pretty good luck with that? We do. We have a lot of luck with non-presumptive conditions here at this law firm. Something we kind of specialize in is taking on conditions for veterans due to Agent Orange or burn pits that are not presumptive. 
That's true, and, and they should be presumptive. A lot of them, they they already know this. Is, you know, uh, that's went on long enough. They already know what should be presumptive. Uh, you're going to get a repetition. Uh, I suspect respiratory is going to weigh heavily in there, and and uh, uh, a lot of you know, possible bone damage, uh, uh, soft tissue damage, and things like that. Neurological problems as well. We're yes. Studying. Yeah, a lot of neurological problems. Uh, and it don't seem to matter what you're exposed to. Somehow or the other, it does affect your nervous system. And... Uh, uh, I see that's really troublesome, uh, and it's not being addressed as well as it should. Um, yeah, I think that that's again being delayed. We're trying to to put together research and evidence here to to help show that what they're facing is real. So, you know, um, if is it more difficult? Folks, that when you know they, you don't have a presumptive avenue to go down for like the burn pits or whatever. You have to go after it as a direct, uh, I guess, a direct service connection claim, direct exposure. And is it more difficult to do that? For example, I know if it's a presumptive condition, things are already assumed to have happened. But I know if it's a direct service connection, then you have to prove every little bitty article. Do you all run into that? We do. Um, one of the biggest ones we deal with is glioblastomas due to Agent Orange, which is a type of brain cancer. And we take on a lot of glioblastoma cases. Unfortunately, by the time we get to them, the veteran is usually passed away and we're dealing with a surviving spouse. And in those cases, glioblastoma is not a presumptive condition, but we see enough of them that we know it's related to Agent Orange and we're able to show that, you know, through medical research and doctors' opinions that their time being exposed to Agent Orange is what caused the glioblastoma that eventually led to their death. I've seen that seen it happen a lot. Well, not a lot, but I mean, you know, more than normal in, in, in our circles, so Correct, yes. We actually do take on a lot of glioblastoma cases. They're not presumptive, not yet anyway, maybe one day, but they're definitely due to Agent Orange. Now, I did see something uh, yesterday, uh, not about the exact uh, issue you're talking about, but I did see to where I think Congress has jumped getting on the VA because of uh, the veteran's death, that they're paying benefits to the spouse. And I think Congress is fixing to jump them and make them start paying veteran benefits to the veterans' estate. Did y'all see that story? No. Where was yeah. that at? I uh, can't rightly remember. We discussed it. Uh, uh, I guess the last night I was looking at it. Uh, let me do some research on it. I'll send it to you because it was a pretty good story. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think I think it came out of Andy Barr, the uh, Congressman Andy Barr out of Kentucky. Okay. I think it was one of his blogs that they were talking about, so I'll double-check it and see. They're, they're doing some pretty positive stuff up there, you know, that the, our wonderful congressmen and reps are. But, uh, you know, the VA, they uh, they love to delay Congress, especially if they can delay them for two years because then they've got to start all over again with a new Congress and everything starts from scratch. <laughs> right. Yeah, we just had a case. Um, we just, it was just in the Delaware paper last week by Bill McMichael, 
Um, one of our veterans died 16 years ago from pancreatic cancer, and he was an Agent Orange um, Vietnam veteran who was actually moving barrels around that, that were spilling, leaking Agent Orange, and his, his buddy stuff to clean their weapons or their uh, tools with. Um, and that's pancreatic cancer is not a presumptive condition, but we were able to show with medical evidence that, that it is as likely as not to be the, the cause of, of pancreatic cancer. And so it took 16 years. I think the, the widow fought it for 16 years, and then we worked with her for two years, and that just went through, which is so frustrating just to see people wait that long for, for benefits. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, if the VA was uh, to have to pay the estate of a veteran, uh, you know, that might cut back on this, uh, uh, the way the VA does business, because they know ultimately they're going to have to pay. Uh, uh, and the paying the estate is like, for instance, if, if a veteran, uh, had already lost his spouse, and then the veteran passed on. Then there's that's uh, the children get to carry on the uh, the claims process. No children, only dependent children. So under 18, or if it's showing that a child is incapable of taking care of themselves if they're over 18. Um, but unfortunately, no, if there's no surviving spouse, then there unfortunately is no claim, then the claim dies with the veteran, unfortunately. But I think you're you're getting sort of to the issue of if, if they did have to pay it, then maybe they'd get around to it sooner, and we'd have fewer veterans dying before their benefits kick in. Well, uh, yeah, that might help uh, right. with that, with that uh, situation, because... Uh, the VA is notorious for playing this waiting game. My land, they can take a claim and stretch it out forever. Right. Yeah, we see that a lot. Especially in the Pills Management Center where they send the claim between the BVA and AMC for 20 years. Pass it back and forth. Right. That's correct. That's common. Yep, so they're playing. Now, Gerald, how long, how, you've been stuck in AMC for how long now? Oh, my lands. In and out of it, uh, it seemed like they hold the wall and then send it back to the BBA, and then they'll remand it back to the Pills Management Center, and then they'll sit on it a while longer. And uh, it, It's just a back-and-forth situation, and uh, uh, that's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, um, we were just hearing, uh, we were just talking with someone recently who said that the veterans can be really confused by those remands, too. You get a letter in the mail and it says your decision has been remanded, but if you're a veteran, you might not know what that means or you don't get that benefits rating, so you assume that your case has been turned down or it's, it's just really sort of confusing, but we are hoping um, Alicia could talk a little bit about how that works? Is that something you'd be your your listeners would be interested in? That's something oh, yeah. would be highly interested. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So when a claim goes up to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, there are three different things that can happen. There can be a grant of benefits, even if it's just a partial grant. There can be a denial, 
and there can be a remand. And a remand is basically a non-decision. It says we need more evidence in order to make a full determination. So sometimes they might say a veteran wasn't given a proper VA exam or they need a new VA exam before they can determine something. So they send it back to the regional office where it takes another couple years for the veteran to get an exam or for them to get new medical documents or whatever they might need. And based on that evidence, if the regional office is still going to deny that claim, they have to look it over again. But if they're still going to deny, they'll issue a supplemental statement of the case and they'll send it back up to the Board of Veterans' Appeals for another decision. Now, technically, on a remand, it's supposed to be given expeditious treatment. So they're supposed to, you know, move it quickly, make sure it gets to the front of the line. And when you go back up to the board, you skip the line again. So if you waited three years at the board to get a decision, you're probably only going to wait a few months when you get back up there the second time because you go in front of everybody else, depending on what your docket number is. Um, but remands can be confusing because the veteran doesn't know. They're like, oh, did my claim close out or is this a denial? Um, and, you know, they say, well, I already had an exam. Why do I have to get another one? And it's very, very confusing. And basically... The general rule with remands is that there's some kind of evidence that VA needs that they don't have to make an adequate determination. And so it's going back for more development or more evidence. It's not a denial. And it's important that veterans understand that, that their claim is still open. It's still open from the date they filed it. And if any part of their claim is denied, though, they do have the right to appeal to the Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. However, that has to be done within 120 days of the denial. So if any part of their decision is denied, or if they're just confused about what their decision means in general after they get it from the board, even if it's a grant, they should definitely call our office and we'll be happy to take a look at the board decision for them and explain to them what it means and what their options are from that point. And veterans, after they receive a remand, they also need to watch the mail pretty closely to make sure that they, uh, they don't have anything that they're expected to do, like go back in for an appointment or... Um, it, it, VA is supposed to come up with documentation, but it's possible that the veteran may need to provide something. But they also need to understand the remand so that if their their decision is denied, they can make sure that VA did what they were supposed to do. It's important to be aware of what that remand says and to understand it. Okay, here's a million dollar question, ladies. <laughs> All right, say for example, Joe Veteran. He files his claim, and he gets denied by the regional office, and he goes to the BVA. After about three and a half to four years of waiting, he gets a decision. He gets denied on some issues, and he gets approved on, on one or two issues. But he does not agree with either, either the percentage or either the, the level of severity of, of the condition. Now, what option does he have if he didn't agree with the BVA decision? Can he go ahead and appeal the uh, actual decision itself as far as the approved parts to court, or what happens in that case? Yes, you can appeal any part of the board decision. So let's say it's a PTSD claim, and it's, you know, the veteran is assigned 30% and he wants a higher rating, and the board assigns 50%. Well, the veteran hasn't been working for 15 years, and he needs that 100% rating or unemployability. Even though that was a partially favorable grant, you can appeal that to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. So even if there is a grant of some benefits, but it's not everything a veteran wants, you can appeal those parts that you're unhappy with to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Well, see, that's the point I wanted to make. Definitely talk to our office first. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, though, I mean, 
folks are, are on the impression, though, you have to have a denial in order to get a representation for an attorney. You do not have to have a denial. You just have to have a notice of disagreement. Is that not correct? Well, it's not technically a notice of disagreement when you appeal it to the court, but you don't have yeah. to have a full grant of benefits. Correct. Yeah, if there's any part of the decision that they're unhappy with, no matter what it is, if anything is not a full grant of benefits, we're happy to take a look at it and see if there's something we can help them appeal to the court. Okay. Or the thing I just wanted to get that out there. It does not have to be a denial. I mean, you know, even in the initial claims process, you know, you know, you can't pick up an attorney until after you have the decision in your hand, and it has to be a, a, a you know, you have to want to appeal something in order to get an attorney to come involved, to be involved. So that's what I'm trying to explain to the listeners. Correct. And at our firm, when we represent before the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, we get paid under the Equal Access to Justice Act. So there's no cost to the client for us when we look at a decision or when we represent at the Court of Appeals. So it's very important that people understand that so they're not hesitant to call an attorney and say, hey, I got this decision. I don't know what it means. Can you look at it or represent me at the court? Because it's important that an attorney looks at it and says, here's what we can appeal to the court, so that the court just doesn't look at it and affirm what the board already decided. It's much better to have an attorney look at it and have a legal argument, especially since there's no cost to the client for a representation before the court. Now, do you guys handle a lot of cases concerning uh, 3.156 of the federal code? We do. I mean, we take on everything. So, okay. yeah, we, ha we handle a lot. Because that, uh, that section C is a pretty powerful argument, you know, as far as evidence and stuff. Right. No, that's a very interesting um, case law and a very interesting regulation, and we do handle a lot of cases like that, especially because VA's records tend to be kind of incomplete. So a lot of times we find new things when we take over a case. Oh, okay. Ooh. That's good information to know, folks. Well, yes, it is. Uh, because uh, I was under the assumption, uh, for instance, if he was granted an award, uh, say he had PTSD, and they said, look, 50% uh, uh, service-connected, and you say, no, I, it, it's got to be more than that. You know, I haven't worked, and... and well, I have all these issues, and and uh, at least seventy percent. And and then you go back. But I was under the assumption if you go back and say, look, I need this increase from fifty to seventy, that the, at the same time you run the risk of the VA coming back and saying, oh no, we may mean you open this up. We made an error. It should have been 30 instead of 50. You know, we do see that occasionally. It's it's a little bit more rare. They generally never sever service connection, but they will drop percentages. Um, we do see that occasionally. With PTSD claims, a claim that's been open the entire time, generally... Uh -huh. Generally, we don't see them decrease. It's sometimes when a veteran files a new claim 10 years later for something that then they say, oh, well, we went through your file and we called for you in for an exam, and we think you're doing a lot better right now, so we're going to cut you down from 70 to 30, and when it's usually not the case at all. We do work with those types of cases as well with severance issues. So if veterans have been severed or VA has proposed to sever, then, first of all, veterans should definitely appeal. The minute they get that proposal to sever, they should submit a disagreement that they don't agree with it, 
and they should definitely give us a call so we can take a look at it for them. Even though we do take on those cases, sometimes we can just recommend something they can do that's easy, like getting a letter from their doctor or a therapist or somebody like that that's really just easy for them to submit on their own. It doesn't even involve us or, you know, we don't have to get involved for them. Most of that stuff's retaliatory anyways for the veteran filing a new claim. <laughs> Agreed. You know, unfortunately what we see sometimes is a veteran will file for, like, aid in attendance, a veteran who's wheelchair-bound, and then all of a sudden VA goes through the file and they're like, no, you know, you're really not disabled, so we're going to cut your benefits. I just saw a case like this. So it's really unfortunate. Yeah, but that's uh, sad, but it happens every day. I know, it is unfortunate, but we see a lot of it. We see a lot of bad stuff from VA. We see a lot of it, too. 13,000 members are not going to (laughs) lie. Right, yeah. (laughs) So that's that's pretty ugly. How do you you girls like handling doing cues? Do do, do you all pretty good at the uh, the cue business? Oh, we definitely handle cue here. (laughs) We see a lot of that. Um, You know, it's interesting. It's important for veterans to understand what cue is because a lot of times they think it's it's just a bad decision. And unfortunately, it's not just a bad decision. It's a certain error that VA makes. But, yeah, we definitely look over those claims to see if there's cue. And in some cases, we've won claims before that go back 30 years based on cue. Right. Well, cue is a legal error, and it has to be proven. It does, and, it, and it's it's a very difficult concept. And it's it's unfortunately, you know, it's not that VA weighed the evidence and made a poor decision when they decided not to grant service connection. It has to be, you know, something like a veteran submitted an appeal and VA never issued another decision. That's a good example of Q, that VA made a legal error in the process and therefore, you know, that claim should still be considered open, things like that. It's not just, unfortunately, that they chose not to grant service connection based on the evidence at the time, although it can be. It just depends on the decision and how VA words it. Or not applying 3.156C to a claim that should have been. That's <laughs> uh, correct. So that that one's an interesting one, and we we have been very successful with cases like that. And that's you're talking about the vigil case where um, if a claim is granted and it's based in part on new service records, if a veteran had filed a claim previously, you know, let's say somebody filed for nervous condition in the 1970s. And in 2010, they file for PTSD, and it's granted based on new service records that show the veteran was in combat in Vietnam. And technically, that claim under that case law should go all the way back to 1970 when that veteran first filed. That's right. Yeah. So as long as new service records are made, are, you know, what the grant is made based in part on, then that law is applicable. Yeah, so... Missing service records, too, that they find or something like that, too, is also part of it. So yeah. I've seen a few cases like that myself, so it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it good is. And honestly, one of the first things we always do is get a new copy of the Veterans Service Personnel file um, to make sure that, because oftentimes VA is missing stuff, so we get a new one, make sure everything's in there and it's all accurate. Well, I know another attorney, I'm not going to mention names, but uh, they had couple of cases in the court and when the VA made the copies of the claims folder for the court for the attorneys they copied one side and there was two sides to the pages <laughs> oh. <laughs> we, we've seen some folders like that actually I'm, I'm, I won't lie we've seen somewhere it kind of looks like VA dropped it all over the floor and picked it back up and put it in random order for us before they send it over 
And in some cases, we have to request that VA go back through the file and send a complete copy of the claims folder to, for us to make sure it adds up because there's sometimes we do this enough where we look at a claims folder and we say this looks incomplete, something's not right, there aren't enough documents here, a lot of stuff is missing, a lot of personnel records are missing. So we'll go back through and if it's necessary, we'll request a second copy from VA saying that we believe it's an incomplete copy. It probably is. Probably. It We've probably seen it before. <laughs> that's another oh, that's another delaying delaying article. In a, in a case of of uh, requesting a, another copy of that claims file, uh, are they allowed to charge for that? So sometimes they'll try to charge for it, but if we believe it's due to a VA error that it's an incomplete folder and we can kind of show proof of that, um, no, we don't we don't get charged for that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Now that's good to know because uh, uh, after you request the first one, then it's uh, if you was to do it again, say in five or ten years, um, because you keep looking at the first one and it just don't, like you said, it it just don't add up. There's there's something astray about it. You say this is not right. And you request another one if if you use the uh, terms uh, you you feel as though the first one wasn't wasn't correct. Correct. We try to exhaust all our other options too. We'll get service records from private researchers or the NPRC. We'll get updated medical records ourselves straight from a veteran's private physician or from the VA medical center the veteran attends. So we try to take care of it ourselves so we know it's being done correctly. But usually it has to do, I would say, with like the service personnel or medical records. Like it looks like pages are missing or it's not quite all there. Um, or a veteran says, you know, they they filed a claim and there's no evidence in the folder that they ever filed a claim. And so we have to submit a request that says, you know, for a claim filed in 1975 or something like that, um, at least to get a formal response from VA that says we don't have what you're looking for so that then it's on record. Okay. That's yeah, well, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I like that 3.156C, though, because it – gives a lot of folks an advantage. I'm glad it's in the regs. It does, it does. If they filed a claim in the 1970s or 80s or 90s, it's even better. <laughs> what they do, I mean, you know, if, if the records weren't available and they denied the claim, you know, and the records didn't show up to five or six years later, yep. you know, and, uh, you know, you try to either reopen the claim or whatever, and they still deny it, and they grant the, the claim based on the service department records, and that, that should be a... That should be a slam dunk. Correct. Some some cases are more clear-cut than others when it comes to that, but, yes, we have been successful winning cases back to the 1970s before getting veterans 30 years of benefits because of that regulation. Hmm. I'm just uh, putting my stuff together for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, now, when you take a case, for example, somebody, somebody gets a denial, and you all okay. take the claim, and it goes to the, BV, the BVA. Now, in the claims folder, is it kind of certified? Don't they get it together and put everything real nice and neat? Don't you guys help do that? 
They do. They When it goes to the board and we get a copy of it, they put it all nicely on a CD for us. <laughs> so it's a little bit better than all the, than when they send, you wouldn't believe. We get four or five boxes sometimes of paperwork from VA for one claims folder. <laughs> so, yeah, they do a good job when it goes to the board generally of making sure it's all together for us. Pretty good. It's good. Yeah. I'm glad they do. I mean, that makes it easier for you guys anyway. That's true. Okay. But uh, what's going on in D.C., ladies? Anything uh, anything of any importance going on besides uh, the political bickering? <laughs> yeah, still more bickering. Um, yeah. The House approved a bunch of measures on Monday um hoping to, to improve some benefits. Uh I think one of the big ones was that they uh, people who have to uh, people who receive home care um they're saying that shouldn't be a part of their estate when they're, they're determining whether they're eligible for benefits. So that was kind of a big deal. And then they're still trying to enable VA to punish um VA officials who have messed up and you know, who generally tend to retire and live happily ever after. So <laughs> those are kind oh, of the big ones. I've seen a few of those folks in my day, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, I mean, this year they've, they've fired people, and those those people have kept their bonuses and then retired, and I, there's, there's so much um, law there that kind of prevents the VA from doing anything. I mean, if you've... If you're you're working for any kind of company and they've given you a bonus or they've paid into your retirement account, they can't punish you later for that because that's your money that you put into the account. And and basically what the house would like to do is is take that money away and and legally that's that's a big issue. So, um we're we're waiting to see how VA is going to handle this, how they're going to take care of some of the dead weight that's that's slowing up process and and causing things to continue. What we keep hearing over and over again is that you've got all of these different re regional offices, and each regional office has its own culture and its own way of doing things, and none of it's uh, it, none of it's the same. No one's following the same regulations. They they all have different rules. So if you can't if you can't fire someone or demote them, then how do you change that? So that's that's the big issue right now. So what's going on in Philadelphia? I've heard they've had some serious problems here lately. Um, is that the? I think that's the one with thirty thousand claims that they found uh, appeals but, claims. Yeah, that and all kind of stuff. They had stuff that's uh, shredded mail room, holding mail, hiding stuff, and uh, bad work environment. It's an IG report. It's it's pretty ugly. Right. It looked like it was very similar to what happened in Phoenix, actually where they said that they had a memo from VA saying this is how you're supposed to address this. You're supposed to, to change the dates. And so Philly was doing things or is accused of doing things like changing the, the date of that a, that a claim came in. Um, you know, it would be sitting there for, for years, and they would change the, the intake date to something more recent. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, especially as, as they're trying to address the claims backlog and then the other the other big issue is they've changed the um the way you can you can turn in a claim so you can no longer do an informal claim. Well if they've got thirty thousand claims sitting in a box, appeals claims that's sitting in a box in in Philadelphia 
and they've backdated them or changed the dates or haven't entered them, will they be looked at from the new rules or the, the old rules? I mean, it's hard to know. If they're not in the computer system, then then how do you track that? How do you check to see that those guys are being taken care of? And that's that's frustrating. It's hard to do because it's probably not being tracked. It's probably just sitting there gathering dust. Exactly, exactly. And we, we haven't heard, and people have been asking what, what happens in those cases. And, I mean, from the regulation, it appears that if it's in the computer system, then it's, then it's the informal claim is fine. But if it's not in the computer system, we don't, we don't know. If they, you know, send a note back to the veteran saying, ah, start over, which isn't fair if they started three years ago. <laughs> well, uh, that's going to be changed anyways in court, so, that, you know. Uh, wouldn't that be criminal activity, though? I mean, you know, why couldn't they bring in the uh, uh, the marshals on that? I mean, or FBI or whoever's supposed to, CIA or whoever's supposed to investigate that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, I think the investigation will get us some answers because if there are 30,000 claims sitting there, someone someone needs to be accountable for that. And I, I think now that they've been found, then then they, they can be made to be accountable. It's just we don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know how many other regional offices have boxes of claims in the back, you know, just sitting there that haven't been found. So. Well, it's a proven fact that these folks are doing their job and they're showing false numbers in order to get bonus money like they did in Phoenix. You know, that's, that's kind of a racketeering because I know there's money involved and they're cooking the books to get money. So there ought to be some serious charges levied against these folks. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, I used to be a clerk in the Army. I mean, I, that wasn't my real job, but you know how the Army works, where they put you where they need you. And mm-hmm. you, would, you would work really hard to get people's stuff taken care of. I remember taking leave forms and chasing them down all through the system to make sure that that person's leave didn't get lost. But when you've got something like the system in, in VA, you can be a really good worker and really care, but... It's like something gets to a point and it it stops. It just disappears. So even if you're calling and trying to track something down, you may not necessarily be able to do that depending on whom you're working with. So We call that calling Peggy. Remember Peggy? <laughs> Peggy commercials? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, they call me. They call me. Remember, this is Peggy. <laughs> has been pretty comical. We've used over this website for the past several years. People call Peggy. They don't call it the 800 number no more. They say, I call Peggy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, what, what's your uh, thinking on uh, using artificial intelligence on uh, adjudicating these claims? I know they're doing some experimenting with that. Yeah. Uh, There's that uh, one. I I don't know. I've, I've read quite a bit about it. it I, I do know the adjudicators are really complaining. They, of course they would. Uh, but the uh, the actual theory of it uh, doesn't make sense. Yeah, we've heard some complaints from the VSOs as well, you know, at the top level. I think the concern, if they were cut and dry cases, that might make sense, but but what we see here on a daily basis is each case is so incredibly different, 
and you know, the Wall Street Journal story just came out saying these veterans are getting more benefits than they deserve because of the automated system. Well, I, I imagine it's working both directions. I imagine there are some veterans who aren't getting what they, they should and some veterans who maybe are getting more than they should and if you're not if you're not talking to someone one on one as a person, then uh, of course there's going to be problems. Uh, yeah, it uh, it appears to me as though uh, it would it would be too difficult. I mean, you know, like you say, each case is different. When, in my opinion, a lot of these claims should be grouped together. Uh, for instance, your Blue Water Navy claims, your uh, burn pit claims, uh, Gulf War claims, uh, things like that should be handled as a group so you can take care of a group of them. That would eliminate the backlogs. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, because uh, even while those veterans might have different disabilities, at least you'd have someone who would understand the issue dealing with all of them at the same time. Yes. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, like you say, some of them, it depends on an individual's uh, uh, immune system, how, you know, how well, you know, how bad they were affected, and uh, so I, I think that would be the easiest way to eliminate the backlog, and at the same time, you're still going to have the individual claims, but... Uh, they should group a lot of these claims together when they're not done. That makes sense. I mean, they do it by region now, and that that means that each adjudicator is is handling a myriad of of kinds of claims. So I I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, but they don't listen to good advice, folks. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> situation in 2007, and I think uh -huh. one of the pilot programs that came out of that was the, the military did exactly that, where they handled military retirement claims by awarding a, um, a disability and then going back and, and checking it later, just so that those guys wouldn't spend months and months without any, any benefits. And I, I mean, they ended up addressing it in other ways by making sure that you could go get your health care for five years after you got out if you'd served in a combat zone. Um, but but it, I think it has been tried before. Oh, I wonder what happened to that. I don't know. I, I hope I I'm remember it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> five year period expired. <laughs> right. <laughs> Then they go and take it all back. Uh, 
That's true. I still, I still feel as if handling one claim you can handle in a group form should be done so. I mean, you know, that that only makes sense to me. Hmm. A person uh, can. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I said a person can dream. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you see any legislation coming down that uh, could be helpful uh, to the veterans or in the works? Uh, well, they do keep talking about the Blue Water veterans as well as the veterans in uh, it's Upper East Coast, the, the veterans who served on the, the uh, planes after the Vietnam War that had been used during the Vietnam War to spray Agent Orange. So the IOM came out with a decision saying that those those veterans were as likely as Vietnam War veterans to be exposed to Agent Orange. And then VA came out and said, we're going to postpone the decision, we're postponing the decision. And Congress is, is getting after them on that. And there's been a, some noise about just making that a presumptive, making them presumptive for service connection because the, the evidence already exists. So. Yeah. Well, so there is something that works. Right. And then there was just another Blue Water case where a veteran in Da Nang, or Da Nang, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, um, he was on a ship that went into a harbor that was surrounded on three sides by land, by Vietnam and developed uh, issues that could have been related to, to uh, Agent Orange. And VA determined that he was a blue water veteran, that his, instead of being a brown water so he was inland and likely to be exposed, he was more of an ocean-going veteran who wasn't likely to be exposed. And uh, that, yeah. he just won that one in court, saying, no, that was... That that's silly, and VA needs to go back and look at their their brown water and blue water definitions to to redetermine who should be included in that. Yeah, yeah poor John Ross. He's been working on this for years, and uh, you know he's we've had him on the show a lot. You know he's the blue water navy guy, mm -hmm. and uh, a couple issues that we know. I know a guy that was on the banner, which is a kind of a spy intelligence ship, and. Uh, they put them updated the, the ships list and put them on there. They were in the harbors and they were all all over the places. They went to the mouth of the rivers, inside the rivers, and you no know, couple of veterans on that ship that had filed claims and have been denied. So maybe we can get things changed. Yeah, that's the hope. the The judge in that case was actually pretty. Uh, the, the decision was sort of it was it was funny. I mean, she was just like, "This is this is silly the way this is done," and and. Do it again. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> what if a veteran has a trust? Uh, can the trustees of the trust, uh, uh, how can the veteran work a trust into the claims? Do you mean if the veteran passes away during the claim? Uh, is you know, a, a veteran says, look, if I pass on, I want my trust to be the, uh, uh, have the authority to work my claim. 
or proceed on with my claim? The only way um, to keep a claim going after a veteran passes away is to substitute a surviving spouse or a dependent child. It's the only way to keep it going. If the veteran doesn't have any children or a significant other, a spouse, um, then there's no way to keep the claim going, unfortunately. So a trust, in other words, uh, could not enter into the picture whatsoever? Correct. Okay. That's something to think about. What's some of the ages involved? Say, for example, you have a dependent child, but say this child is in college and is still, you know, receiving VA benefits. Would they still count? I mean, I guess the VA's cutoff date's 18, right? Um, 18 or 23 if the child is in school. Okay. Okay. So that's, uh, that's something you guys ought to take note of just in case your child is in college. If something was to happen, you can still... They can still take over the benefits as long as they're in school. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. But do it quickly. <laughs> yes, because they're, they will delay you until you graduate. <laughs> and uh, that would include in adopted children, too, wouldn't it? Correct. As long as there is a legal adoption, yes. Um, we've actually had cases like that before where a veteran and a significant, or their veteran and their spouse adopted a grandchild or another child in the family legally, yes, that counts. As long as there are legal court papers, then yes, that child is eligible. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know, too. Um, and that would qualify for schooling as well as medical benefits. Correct, yeah, but it has to be a dependent child, either 18, under 18, or of school age and enrolled full-time. Right. Yeah, that would fall under the VA regulation or general for the insurance. Yeah, it would. Yeah. I thought they went up to age 26 if they was uh, continuing yeah, on in school. I think that that's been the correct. <laughs> yeah, in the private sector. That is yeah. the private sector, but I don't think there's been a bill passed to extend that in the VA yet, has there? I don't think so. So you get what you pay for, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but honestly, I do want to give out a shout-out to Champ VA because that is one part of the VA system that actually works. And, uh, you know, I mean, I get nothing but good reviews out of those folks. So, you know, they're doing something. They're doing something right, Champ VA is. They're doing something right. Maybe they should put them in charge of everything else. They should. (laughs) They should, you know, because, I don't know, we call it a Mickey Mouse operation within the VA. But really that's unfair to Mickey Mouse because... You know, they put down, they put Disney World together and all kind of stuff, and they have had so many problems. They've done a pretty good job there, too. So, But it was built by an Army General and Navy Admiral, so we can't go wrong with that. <laughs> but, um, anything else new, ladies, that's been going on the last couple of weeks? From- uh, 
Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Everyone here is preparing for Memorial Day and the concert and got all the bikers in town to honor the veterans and people laying out flowers and it's it's just that time of year. It's nice that, that people are, are thinking about people we lost. Is Gary Sinise coming in? He sure is, yeah. He all and right. uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it's Gloria Estefan is is singing this year. <laughs> Gloria Estefan singing for the veterans. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> that I gotta see. <laughs> yeah, so it should be a busy weekend here. No, but I do appreciate what uh, what Gary's done. You know, for veterans, he spends a lot of his own time and a lot of his own money, and you know, he does a he does a good thing. You know, with his band and everything, so. If you guys mm-hmm. get a chance to see him, go see him. I mean, thank him for what yeah. he does. He's a real good guy. He's real, yeah. He's a real good guy. He's real personable. Have you had him on the yeah. show? No, we haven't had him on the show. Uh, I've run to him a couple of times, but we've never had him on the show. We need to get him on the show, matter of fact, Gerald. So yeah. I'm, yeah, we do. <clears throat> I think I'll reach out. No, I'll reach out to his agent and see if we can get him to come on and just give us a little rundown on what he does and things like that. So. Yeah. We can do that. That'd be fun. Well, if it's agent or publicist, maybe it's publicist. (laughs) (laughs) There's a big announcement about caretakers today, too. Elizabeth Dole Foundation is is having a a meeting today and tomorrow, and uh, the First Lady will be there, and uh, I think Senator McCain and... There's supposed to be a big announcement about the caregivers and, and what's going to be available for them. I think it's going to be similar to some other things that have been coming out um, of the administration. So that'll be interesting to watch in the news today, see what happens. Now, the caregiver program, that's the program they came in a couple of years ago that would allow the spouse or somebody to take care of a veteran. It would, I guess it would pay them a stipend to do that. But that's, exactly. only, for, that's only for Gulf War veterans, right? The recent ones, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you been guys, to extend it, but it hasn't gone through yet. So uh, I like to see it extended fully to all disabled veterans, but we'll see. Right. We'll see. Yeah, it's just post 9/11. So once I look at the dollar signs, it may not happen. <laughs> it's yeah. Although when you look at how much it takes to care for a veteran out of the home it's possible that economically it makes more sense to have a spouse do it. So I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers on that. Okay. Yeah, it's a good program, though. I know a lot of folks are using it. I know I've got uh, <clears throat> I've got a grandmother that uh, her son's a disabled vet, and uh, he had a Coast Guard injury years ago, and he's 100%, and he's got a real bad mental problem. He, he's just kind of, he's just there, you know. I mean, he still walks and talks, but uh, he can't drive and things like that. She's his fiduciary. But uh, I think uh, that'll be able to give her something for taking care of him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because a full-time caregiver would cost quite a lot of money, so. Uh, they're pretty lucky. they got two They got two girls that are in, so it's, it's you know, they've had They've had some good good success, you know, taking care of them. And her, of course, my grandfather's a World War II vet, and he's been fighting the VA for years. So uh, it, it's crazy. That's a tuberculosis claim, lady. He contracted tuberculosis in Germany in World War II. Wow. And uh, he's been fighting ever since. You know, they put you out at 100%, and then they totally sever you. Yeah. Yep. And, 
Yeah, so, but he's he's fixing to, I think he's fixing to have some information anyways. He's been fighting, so we've we had to change tactics a little bit and give him some good representation, and we have done that, so we'll see what happens. Oh, good. I hope it goes yeah, well. Oh, so. uh, yeah, I think it will. He may not get everything, but he'll get he'll get enough to, you know, take care of him. Yeah. He's only, he's 92 years old. Wow. Yep, so... I told him the other day that most folks his age are not even here to collect benefits. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. But uh, we do want to thank you for coming on the show, uh, ladies. We'd, we'd like to kind of set this up and do this maybe once a month. You know, if you guys if you guys have the opportunity and time to do it. Yeah, that would be great. Of course, we can put together some some issues to talk about. So. Yeah, like well, that's one. maybe. Yeah, we can do that. I mean, that keeps abreast of, you know, because you guys are right there in the middle of it. You know, you're right there in harm's way. You know, you can go up on the hill and listen to the hearings and uh, right. all kind of stuff. You get all the data. And, uh, you know, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure working with Bergman Moore because, you know, they're really, really strong advocates. And, Thank uh, you. You know, we do appreciate what you do, especially when you guys go out and train. Do you guys got any, have any trainings planned for the near future? Not for the near future, but we will soon. I mean, we'll get that set up soon, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've been doing a bunch of Puerto Rico. Yeah, you know, you all have been doing a lot of Puerto Rico. I mean, I, I remember back when Carrie was going to Puerto Rico, so that's been years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we need training down here in Joplin. You know, you can come down here and train. I will talk to the bosses. <laughs> Rule America. You, know, you have to get you an RV and put Bergman Moore on the side of it and start traveling. You start training folks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll suggest it at our next staff meeting. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be happens. pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. And our website is www.vetlawyers.com. V as in victory. V as in victory. That's right. Um, that's great. How many veterans are you all uh, representing now? Oh, man, between the VA side of our law firm and the court side of our law firm, hundreds. Definitely we have, I would say, maybe six. 100 or 700 that we represent in front of VA, and on the court side, it changes, but we definitely represent a large number there as well. My land, you're busy. <laughs> we're very, we're a big firm. <laughs> quick question, what's the, quick, what's the quickest way to get a BVA hearing now? Is it to go to D.C. or is it to have a travel board hearing? You know what? I'm not actually sure about that because at our firm, we don't do hearings with any mm-hmm. of our clients. 
so I'm not sure what the wait time is on that for either of them. Because some folks are asking me how long it's going to take to get to the BVA, and I try to give them the best answer possible. How, doing a hearing, I will say that doing a hearing prolongs the case because so many people want one. Yep. But it's not necessary. That's correct. Right. It's not necessary. You can choose to not have one. Oh, okay. But, but you can do it based on records too, right? Record review? Correct, yes, yeah, just on the records. Yeah. It's a de novo, de novo review, I guess is what they call that. <laughs> right. All right. Gerald, buddy, we're completely out of time, buddy. Yeah, and I tell you, it just breaks my heart to have to sign off. <laughs> <laughs> but, however, we appreciate you ladies coming on, and, and uh, we appreciate Bergman and Moore allowing you to have the time to come on, and, and, uh, enlighten uh, the members here, and uh, not only the members listen to the website, uh, I mean the, the radio show, uh, we have a lot of uh, tra uh, traffic come through this website, and, and so uh, it's, uh, we feel really fortunate to have you take the time and uh, patience to be with us, and Hopefully, we're going to see you again real soon. Yeah, uh, thank you so absolutely. much for having us. And, uh, yeah, the, go ahead, The website's got well over 13,000 members, but our traffic volume, we have a, we have a well over 100,000 100, visitors and uh, well over with millions and millions of hits on the site. So, uh, you know, these shows get listened to by a lot of different folks, so. You know, right. we do appreciate guys like you coming on and uh, giving us some good information. We love good information. You know, we're kind of like, like the short circuit robot movie. We want that input. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. With that, that's, I think we better uh, sign off. And, and uh, thank you, ladies, once again. So uh, we'll, we'll hope to see you soon. Great, thank you. Thank you. This will be Gerald Cook with uh, Jay Basser and uh, uh, Kelly and Alicia. We'll be talking to you again soon. Please come in. You've Call been listening in. to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bachelor Show.